Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On today's episode, we have a highly requested topic from our listeners and clients, and that is how to manage PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome from a non-diet approach. Joining us today is Amanda Huynh, a registered dietitian in Australia who practices from a non-diet approach. She specializes in helping women combat restrictive eating patterns and PCOS problems using a unique intuitive eating and hormone balancing nutrition approach so that they can eat well naturally, regulate their cycle, feel comfortable in their body, and focus on the things that really matter in life. If you're looking for more bonus content on this episode, or just, you know, you want to hang out with me and Christina more in general, you can join our Patreon community for only $5 to get access to six plus months of bonus episodes, action steps, and resources to help you integrate the recommendations from our episodes into your life in a non-restrictive way. Last week on our Patreon, we shared a bonus episode with Dr. Crystal Frazzi about how to assess and recharge your body battery to help combat the long-term effects of stress on the body. You can go check it out at patreon.com slash wholehearted eating. Two little updates here before we get started. So Amanda has since changed her Instagram handle to at body.freedom.dietitian on Instagram. And we also had some issues with the Zoom recording audio this week. So we're really sorry about that, but it will be fixed in the next episode. I'm really excited to talk about PCOS today because I feel like it's really hard to find PCOS practitioners who aren't super diety focused and restrictive and all of the things. And so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you for doing the good work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, My absolute start. pleasure. So I was scrolling through your Instagram feed, Amanda, and I really loved your post where it said that we need to stop calling birth control bleeds, yeah. pill bleeds, periods, and how it's more than just semantics, because I think sometimes we think of it that way mm-hmm. of like, oh, well, I'm bleeding. So I'm having my period. And it's really different. It's a heavily influenced bleeding, not so much a natural period. And so I really am curious for you to kind of dive into that a little bit. And I like how you mentioned that it was that this that that post was specifically like a call to action for doctors to stop spreading misinformation about how we can actually have a lot more influence over regulating our cycles more naturally if we choose to do so. And I'd love for you to dive deeper into that and talk about how it's not just semantics, what you're really like encouraging doctors to do. And then there's like a three-part question. And then the last part would be, for people who want to dive deeper into regulating their periods more naturally and they go down that road, how do they then not become hyper-focused and obsessed with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 
There's so much yeah, for that. There's three parts. Yeah, welcome to yeah. the podcast. There are three <laughs> parts for you. Um, so the first question was um, why it's important to not call bleed on the pill or any hormonal birth control period. So yeah, this, this is a big one and it's a huge industry pet peeve of mine. And it really comes down to empowering people who don't have regular periods to actually find out what the root cause of their irregular periods is and being able to address and treat that root cause naturally to be able to have natural cycles. Because if we're calling these synthetic bleed periods, a lot of a lot of people don't understand that they're not the same thing, that periods and hormonal bleeds aren't the same thing. Uh, a, a, a period can only happen when you've ovulated. And that is without getting into, you know, the, the nitty gritty and details of the whole menstrual cycle. But your your body has this really incredibly complex and beautiful I call it like symphony of hormone um, of hormones that that ebb and flow throughout your cycle, which is usually a 20, 28 plus or minus five day cycle to create your period or to get pregnant, essentially, right? Once you ovulate, there's only two options. You, you either get pregnant or you have your period. And having a period requires your body to go through this incredibly complex symphony of hormone fluctuations and the the I guess you could call it the main event of your menstrual cycle is that ovulation event that ovulation event that allows you to get pregnant or to have a period if you're not pregnant and so when you're having a bleed on the hormonal birth control pill you're not ovulating and so you don't have a period and why this is important, and particularly with people with PCOS who I, I work with, is that PCOS is the number one cause of anovulatory infertility. So you're infertile or you're not able to get pregnant because you don't ovulate. And so if you're just slapping a Band-Aid on this, which is taking the pill, taking medications, and you're not addressing and treating the root cause and and figuring out a way so that you can naturally ovulate that that problem hasn't been addressed so you're just you're just suppressing your hormones and it seems like you have a bleed the outcome looks similar but the process is not and so when you come off the pill likely your hormones will still be imbalanced likely you're still not ovulating likely you'll still have irregular periods and a lot of the time when people come up with PCOS, come off the pill and they want to get pregnant, then more, more medications get pushed on them. Take these ovulation medications, take Clomid so that you can ovulate so that you can get pregnant because that's what you, that's the process that, that the events that you need to get pregnant. But then it's forcing your body to do something that it's not feeling safe to do already. It's not in a state. Yeah. I, yeah. What were you going to say 
uh, Christina? No, it, I, I really love that you brought this up because that's kind of what I started talking to Dana about right before we got on the call with you. And I said, you know, what's so frustrating and that I'm so glad that you called this out was that what happens is people get on birth control when they're 15 because they have irregular periods. They go on birth control for 15 years and then in their 30s, they decide to get they, they, you know, they want to have, you know, have a child or whatever, whatever age it is. But some people will be on birth control for something like 15 years and then they'll get off of it and they'll say, I'm having a difficult time getting pregnant. And it's like, well, the reason like you were, you had signs that this was going to happen 15 years ago that never really got fully addressed. And now we're going down this road of fertility and who knows what happened in those 15 years of that journey. There could have been chronic dieting behavior, so many things that would have influenced, like, you know, kind of like kept digging, digging them deeper into the, into the trenches, you know. And that's why I think it's so important to kind of to address that because you're right, it is unfair to be given this Band-Aid approach saying, here, take this pill so that you can bleed once a month. But it's really, like you said, I, I joke to Dana, I go, well, ovulation's kind of important, like before, <laughs> before we met. And in the, when it comes to fertility, and, you know, in general for your, you know, like you said, that's, I love the way you called it like a symphony. But I think it's important to kind of note, like, this is what happens long term with fertility. And so, and the the signs of infertility and what's going on. And then, like you said, you're getting pushed on to more medications to help you ovulate and do that. And I'm just curious, I, I would love for you to talk now a little bit about one, how can you, let's say you've done this for 15 years, right? If you, you took the pill because that's what they told you to do, or you wanted to because you didn't want to get pregnant and there's not, not a lot of options out there to, you know, to, to keep you from getting pregnant, um, you know, and so, and so you then think, okay, well, this has happened. I now, I knew that I had these signs years ago. What can I do now to support my cycle? And if I want to get pregnant someday, how do I then get to that root cause? How do I support myself again, without becoming obsessed with with it, knowing that I have PCOS and so that it could be more complicated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a question in there. I'm a, I'm a <laughs> wild child this morning. I'm sorry, guys. I love it. It's, it, it was all meant to be, right? It was all meant to happen like this. Um, yeah, that treating the, the irregular periods naturally, I'll get to that in a moment, but I do just want to also say that you know, having natural cycles isn't just to get pregnant, right? Having natural cycles helps you connect to your body in a deeper way, flowing, ebbing and flowing with the natural, uh, with your natural cycles connects you with your body because we're not meant to be the same energy levels, the same motivation levels, the same all day, every day for the whole month. Us, um, Anyone born with a vulva has natural ebbs and flows throughout the month. And it's so, so powerful once we connect to that. But of course, in our society, that is 
you know, patriarchal capitalism, all of that stuff, we're kind of encouraged to live this life that's more kind of um, catered towards the white male or males in general, which is kind of the same energy levels, the same motivation levels, the same everything every day. And that's just not realistic for us who have vulvas. It's not realistic. And if we try to keep up with that, we burn out, we get stressed, we get anxious, we get, we feel like we're not enough. And so just being connected to your cycles in that way is so empowering for us vulva owners. And that that's another element of having regular cycles. On top of the other bajillion health benefits that that we have with the the all the hormones that we have that that fluctuate in our menstrual cycles, um, bone density, mental health, all of that. Um, so yeah, so so many be- benefits to having natural cycles. And so if you do have irregular cycles and want to regulate them, that was the question, right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. cool. Um, so actually looking at what your root cause is, is the number one thing. Like you can't figure out the solution to a problem if you don't even know what the problem is, right? And so if, for example, it's, um, it's PCOS, then it's going to be hormone imbalance. And I talk about the four root causes for PCOS. Did you want me to get, get into them? Yeah, cool. Um, so insulin resistance, inflammation, adrenal, and then hormone imbalances. And so 70% of people with PCOS will have insulin resistance as their, their, um, their main root cause, but you can have more than one. And so it's understanding what hormone imbalances are triggering your PCOS hormone imbalances, aka having those high androgen levels, which trigger the irregular period. Hormones work in this cascade effect. When one when one is imbalanced, it throws the rest out of balance as well. So it's, it's a little bit tricky like that, and it, and it can be a bit of a vicious cycle. But that also means when you're treating it, when you balance one of the hormones, it helps the other hormones become imbalanced as well. So it's it's both both sides of the the, the spectrum. So finding your root cause is number one importance so that you actually understand what your, your, what the problem is. Yes. Number one step is finding your root cause, identifying your root cause. And then number two is then building holistic habits that support the balancing of the root cause. So the habits that I tend to focus on with my clients are things like balanced nutrition and by balanced nutrition, no, I don't say eating healthier or dieting or going keto or losing weight even. Like this is about creating balanced meals that are an abundance of with with a balance of the macronutrients. And the, the way I approach food is more from an adding and adding. What can I add to create more balance? What can I add so that this meal is more nourishing for my body rather than what do I need to cut out? What do I re- need to restrict? So balanced nutrition, joyful movement. And again, note that I don't say exercise. 
I, I am actually quite big on semantics because I always say that it's like how eyes are the windows to the soul, words are the windows to the subconscious mind. And so it's kind of like the energy that you, you, you bring with that word is what really matters. And so I, I say movement because it sounds more gentle and inviting and varied as opposed to like exercise, which has this like huge diet culture nuance of like, Go, go hard or go home, no pain, no gain, which is absolutely not what we're about. Joyful movement is just any movement that brings you joy, that lights you up, that you freaking love doing, that you don't feel like you, you have to force yourself to do. For example, for me, I'm like a massive on dancing. I do bachata, salsa and um, burlesque at the moment. And it's like, if, if I... If you tell me that I should miss a class or if I have to miss a class, I will, I will sulk. I will sulk so, so much because I'm like, but I want to go. <laughs> and it brings me so much joy to, to go dancing and it doesn't feel like exercise. It doesn't feel like something I have to do for my health. It's something that I want to do. It's something that I get to do. And when you come from that energy of I get to, I want to, it becomes so easy and effortless. It's not like, oh, I have to get out of my house and go to the gym and force myself to do this thing. It's like, ah, oh, yay, I want to do this thing. So joyful movement, the energy that we bring to these habits is, is just as important with these habits as these habits itself. Um, stress management and regulating your emotions and nervous system is a huge one, huge and it's funny because this isn't really talked a lot about in, you know, diet culture and, you know, all, all this like online health and fitness space. A lot of people talk about, you know, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, how you should exercise, how you shouldn't exercise. But really anyone talks about how much your stress and your emotions and your nervous system impacts your health. Right. It's like, I, I would say even stress is like the number one cause of most diseases. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot people can't see. We're both like aggressively nodding our heads. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you, you know, it makes sense that diet culture and, you know, all, all that online space don't really talk about stress because they're contributing to it. You know, telling us that we should be in this size bodies. We should go on these diets you shouldn't should eat this you shouldn't eat this you should you should follow this meal plan like this all causes stress in our bodies and worsens all of your PCOS symptoms worsens your mental health worsens your physical health worsens your emotional health it takes such a toll on our health and of course they're not telling us about it because they want us to continue to buy into the trope that that we need these diets because that we're unhealthy because because of what we're doing rather than what we're being influenced by. Yeah, and it influences our blood sugar regulation, which influences our insulin resistance, which 70% of people with PCOS, that's the root cause. So it's like, <laughs> like, like, is it really the root cause or is it just like a 
you know, an offshoot of the larger root cause of stress. And I was thinking about it the whole time while you were talking about exercise, the way that you described going to the gym, I was like, well, that's pulling a thread that's, that's stressful already. Just hearing the word saying, oh, I have to go to the gym. I have to make myself do that versus like, oh, I'm going to go do, I'm going to go do some yard work because I enjoy my garden. I like getting my hands dirty and it's like totally different vibe. Totally different vibe. One is relaxed and the other one's like grind, got to do it, got to get it done. And it has like the offshoot of that. I just love the way you described it. And I hope that like, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's tough too, right? Because when, if, if, and when someone gets diagnosed with PCOS and they go to a practitioner who doesn't specialize in working with things the way that you do and the way that we do in terms of an add-in approach and trying to meet people where they are the common advice that they're going to get is, well, first it's like, oh, well, lose weight and you'll fix your PCOS. And we're like, okay, well, <laughs> that's unfortunately not the way that that works. Um, unfortunately for you, because you're the one giving that incorrect advice. But, <laughs> you know, then there's also this, oh, well, you know, just don't eat sugar or don't eat carbohydrates so that you can manage your insulin resistant PCOS or whatever the form that it is. Or, and, or make sure that you're doing, you know, X amount of exercise and activity in order to manage your PCOS. And while, of course, we're not saying that there's not a nutritional and movement component to helping manage your PCOS, but when you're taking it from that approach, there also is this notion that if your symptoms are not going into remission, if you're not able to regulate your blood sugar and you're not able to, you know, kind of regulate the symptoms that you're having, then it feels like it's your fault, right? If you, if, if you didn't put your PCOS in remission, if your symptoms aren't going down, then it's because you didn't do well enough with the nutrition part, with the exercise part, with the stress management part, which of course that in itself is a major stressor to the nervous system that can contribute to further blood sugar dysregulation and make your symptoms worse as well. So it's just, it's a really tough spot to be in for people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like right now we're talking about, you know, all the things that you can do, all the kind of like, um, like the obvious habits, right? It's like nutrition, movement, stress management, improving your sleep and things like that. And we forget to talk about the soft skills, like the the self-compassion, moving away from judgment and bringing in more self-compassion, taking away the shame and the guilt and the, 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 um, you know, micromanaging of your body and coming into more love and curiosity and understanding because it's like all this, all these hev- this heaviness of this, the shame and the guilt and the stress and, and the anxiety and the, the trying to be so in control, that's adding to the stress. And we're always coming back to the stress, right? It's adding to the stress which is worsening your PCOS, which is worsening the the blood sugar levels, which is worsening your hormone imbalances and worsening your health, mental health, physical health, emotional health, all of it. And so, yeah, there's, again, this is something that, 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 that not enough people are talking about. We hear so much about how to improve nutrition, what to eat, what not to eat, how to move and all of that stuff, but we don't hear about, okay, but if you're not doing all of that, quote unquote perfectly because let's be honest it's never going to be perfect but if you're not doing it well and if you still experience your symptoms can you still have unconditional love and compassion for yourself like that that in and of itself is going to do 
so much more than trying to eat a meal plan perfectly or trying to lose weight or trying to, you know, follow your exercise plan perfectly. Yeah, I think you like really hit it on the head in a lot of ways. And I think why in so it, there's so many layers, right? With PCOS specifically too, there is often this idea that it's your fault if you won't get it or if you can't manage it or anything like that too. And then oftentimes I feel like that's really fed by this all or nothing approach to managing any kind of chronic health that you're, that you're experiencing, right? Whether that's, you know, you can really start kind of anywhere, you know, whatever, like pick your, pick your chronic health condition and having an all or nothing approach really ultimately holds you back, you know? And I feel like you can do, you know, for, especially for PCOS, you know, you do a quick Google search and you can, you can find out, like if you Google, you know, nutrition for PCOS, it's like, like all kinds of stuff that are coming up immediately. There's a hundred websites that are going into it. And I feel like it's complicated because yes, and right, like, yes, food can play a big role. And all or nothing is is chronically feeding your chronic health <laughs> health issues that you're experiencing and the systems that you're in the um, symptoms that you're experiencing. Excuse me. So how do you work with PCOS from your perspective and support the management of this? Right. Like, as you mentioned, with those four component with those components that you talked about with like balanced nutrition and all of the different pieces, the movement and everything without it becoming all or nothing, but at the same time saying like, yes, nutrition can play a role. Yes, movement can play a role. Yes, self-compassion plays a role. But then how do you not make it, you know, all or nothing, which then, as we know, leads to the, the stress? Yeah. I, do you mean there, like, how do you not get so obsessed with, like, I... I, I need to be so focused on my, on my nutrition and my movement that I don't get to like enjoy life. Yes. Yeah. I think in some ways, yes. But then also in other ways too, it's like, okay, so I always use lucky charms as an example because I love them. So, so let's say you're like, you know, you're getting, you know, you're working on your PCOS and you want to have, you know, regulated cycles and you want to get attuned with your body and all of the things and you're excited about it and you're like, yes, this is for me. And then you read, okay, balanced nutrition. Okay. So we're going to, you know, combine all of our macronutrients. I'm going to have protein, fat, and carbohydrates at my meals. I'm going to make sure that I'm eating enough. And then one afternoon you come home from work and you're burnt out and you decide to have a bowl of Cheerios instead of doing that. How do you then not have the internal dialogue of I should have, or this wasn't good enough, or how do you then not have that all or nothing approach saying, okay, every time, because, you know, naturally what can happen, I think, especially with our culture of a dieting type culture, we have had it ingrained in us. If we're not doing it exactly mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. prescribed or discussed, that means then that we're bad or that it's bad mm -hmm. or we're not doing good enough. Right. And I think that's, mm -hmm. this is where the soft skills come in. And I think, um, yeah, am I like, clarifying Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you mean yeah. now. Yeah, so a lot of people have this all or nothing approach. It's like, well, I have to eat my diet perfectly so that I can heal my PCOS. And if I don't do that, 
it means that I'm not going to heal my PCOS. And yeah, this is where intuitive eating comes in. And so in managing PCOS, I, I combine it with intuitive eating and my gosh, do people with PCOS need it? Do people with PCOS need some guidance in this space? Because yeah, like you said, if you do a Google search, you find so many, so many results come up and it, a lot of it is about dieting and restriction and, and, and all the rest of it. And so intuitive eating really is about your relationship with food, right? It's really interesting when you look at the intuitive eating principles, it's like all of it is about the relationship with food and, and only the last one is about gentle nutrition. And this really goes to show that your relationship with food and in that sense, like I was saying before, the energy that you bring to your habits matters so much, matters so much that it impacts your health outcomes, right? And so intuitive eating, there is a particular um, principle in intuitive eating that I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember the actual principles anymore. Um, but it's it, it's like all foods fit, right? There's no good or bad foods. There's no healthy or unhealthy foods. There's no clean or junk foods. There's no this labeling of foods, this black and white thinking of foods. It feeds into that all or nothing mindset. It's like if I eat these just if I if I eat these foods that have been deemed as good, then I'm good. Then I'm going to heal my PCOS. If I eat these foods as bad that that have been labeled as bad, it means that I'm bad and I'm not going to heal my PCOS. So it's just becoming aware of this dichotomous thinking that you, you that that people might have that you might have, and just taking a step back and and letting go of that judgment, letting go of that judgment. The way that I like to describe food is more or less nutritious because it doesn't have that energy of judgment. It's just descriptive, right? And so, like I said, the language is like the, the window to your, to your subconscious mind. So when you, when you see foods as more or less nutritious, it's less like, it's less all or nothing, right? It's kind of like more on a spectrum. And so when you're intuitively eating and you're listening to your body and noticing what feels good and what doesn't feel good for your body, the same food isn't always going to feel the same in your body, right? So for example, a salad. A salad is fantastic when, you're, when you just want something light, when you, do, when you don't want something heavy, like, you know, a, a burger or pasta, for example, at lunchtime, you know, you still have half the work day to go. And so eating something light and fresh, like a, a salad, might feel really good in your body. But then another time when you're, you've just done a workout, you're, your stomach is growling, you're so hungry, a salad's not going to cut it. It's deemed as healthy from, as, from diet culture, it's deemed as good in diet culture but if you if you eat a salad when your stomach is growling guaranteed you'll be looking for more food after guaranteed you'll be 
like sca scavenging the the pantry for whatever you can fill that that hunger with and so it's it's understanding that your body your body has different needs at different times and so different foods are going to satisfy that those needs and this even goes for you know your sweet treats like chocolate and ice cream and tiramisu when you're deeply hungry these foods aren't going to satisfy your body it's going to taste really freaking good but it's not going to satisfy your body, right? It's not going to feel that deep hunger that you feel in your body. But if you've had a very satisfying balanced meal and you're just like, mm, my taste buds, they just want a little, want a little treat. They want a little something, something yummy there. Then a, a tiramisu or, you know, a dessert or a sweet, something sweet would satisfy that. And that's, that's amazing because your pleasure, your enjoyment of food matters as well, right? There is like, what is the point? What is the point of life or nutrition if you're not enjoying it? If you're depriving yourself of pleasure and joy? I think in, in health, we can be so rigid with, with what we how we see health right we see health as calories as nutrition as movement and we we forget that our pleasure our enjoyment our freedom our peace contributes to our health as well and so how can we bring that in nutrition as well and so this is where the all foods fits comes in Foods are more or less nutritious. Some of them are going to satisfy you and your body at different points than others. Yeah. So speaking of removing the morality and judgment from foods, one of the things that you had talked about recently on your Instagram that we loved was you did this uh, PSA for non-white PCOS sisters, right? And so there, when, you know, in these general nutrition guidelines that people are getting for PCOS, it's basically like eat super low carb, eat low glycemic index, don't eat carbohydrates, you know, eat, don't eat sugar, like don't eat all these other things. And so then foods like white bread, white rice, you know, a lot of different people's cultural foods become demonized. And then the people basically feel like, oh, I have to eat, you know, the white Mediterranean diet in order to heal my PCOS. And one of the things that you keep reiterating multiple times on your page, which we love, is saying like, don't let white supremacy brainwash your view of health and disconnect you from your culture. So can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yes, I love that you did your homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this kind of flows on with what I was saying before, you know, rather than having this really narrow view of health as, you know, nutrition and movement and all the rest of it, it's like, okay, well, what about connection to culture? You know, what about connection to your roots, your heritage? What about connection to your family? And, and through that, food. Personally, I'm Vietnamese Australian first gen. And for so many years of my life, I, you know, naturally as a, as a child, you want to assimilate to the culture around you. And so for 
most of my life, I rejected my culture. And, you know, I tried to eat more white foods. And also because I saw as I was getting into um, dietetics and nutrition that white white foods were often recommended as the healthy foods. And so I was like, my home foods don't really fit into this idea of what healthy foods is. So maybe I just shouldn't eat those foods, including white rice, which is a staple in a lot of Asian cultures. White tortillas is a staple in a lot of uh, Central and South American cultures. It's like these foods that are staples that are so connected to culture, our cultures and our cultural foods are being uh, are being labeled as unhealthy because it has less fiber. Yeah, okay, let's look at the facts. It has less fiber. It can raise your blood sugar levels a little bit more quickly than brown rice or less refined rice and, and grains. But does that make it bad? Does it make it unhealthy? Absolutely not. Firstly, having carbohydrates and particularly white carbohydrates as a part of a balanced meal helps to balance the blood sugar levels and not raise it as quickly. And if you compare, you know, white rice as a part of a balanced meal versus brown white rice as a part of a balanced meal and how it affects the blood sugar levels, the, the difference is neg negligible, right? So having it as a part of a balanced meal already just solves that problem. But then we also need to bring into context the the connection you have with 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 your family with your your culture when you have this particular dish with the right white rice it's like that that is such an important part of your health connection is such an important part of our health it breaks my heart to think about my my own story and so many of my my clients of color who said that for for a period of their life, they stopped eating with their family or they stopped eating their cultural foods because they thought it was unhealthy. That's so upsetting. That's so upsetting that they felt like they had to disconnect from, from culture and from people and from family in the name of health. And so what we're coming back to here is just redefining what health means, what health means. It is not just nutrition, it's not just movement, it's, it's holistic. We have to think about health as holistic, mental, physical, emotional, social, spiritual, environmental, all of it together. This is what creates your health. This is what determines your health outcomes. If you are only focusing on your physical health at the sacrifice of your mental health at the sacrifice of your emotional health, at the sacrifice of your spiritual health, even social health. So many people don't want to go out and socialize with their friends at, at a restaurant because they're on these diets. It's like, well, there's a major imbalance there and sacrificing all of that causes stress in your body. And we come back to that. You know what I was thinking about? I really appreciate that you that you are saying that. I've said this like nine times throughout this episode <laughs> that I appreciate this. But I do. And I think ever I think I hope everybody who's listening 
regardless if you have PCOS or not, you have a lot to take home today as like something as a message. And you know what I kept thinking about while you were talking about this and the, you know, you know, white rice and how it's been so demonized in like dietetics and nutrition and all of the different things in so many ways. You know what I find to be interesting? If we just left everything alone and stopped trying to mess with it, everything would have been fine. Because like the way that we packaged things, right? Like each culture, and I think you were kind of describing that when you're talking about the different things that the way you're doing it. But if you look at different cultures, right? I'm South American. But if you look at the like cultures and different places, I'm going to use that as an example. But if you look at white rice and black be and beans, yes, you're using white rice, right? But the beans have a lot of fiber in them that offset the white rice. And it's like, it doesn't really matter. Like at the end of the day, and then it's usually served with avocado that's high in fat and high in fiber. And then the protein and the beans. And it's like all of these different things that get put into. And I think the missing piece for me that I think is really great that you're bringing to this conversation is around that <clears throat> we tend to look at each food individually in a vacuum when we really need to spend the time to look at food as a whole and look at the mechanics of food and how our body utilizes it throughout the body. And I think that that's where Dan and I really love to talk about. And I think you do too. You use the term balanced nutrition. Dan and I use intentional eating, right? And neutral nutrition. Like there's a piece of neutral nutrition education that I think is missing overall that like if we took it down to like the basics before everyone started messing with food and diet culture came in and was like, I'm going to fix it all, quote unquote. It's like, really, it's like body diversity was cool. If you had just stayed out of it, everything would have been perfectly fine. But that didn't happen. So now we're trying to undo all of that, right? But if you spent the time taking and dissecting various different cultural foods at they are at their heart, they have the components of neutral nutrition that are designed in order to feed yourself because they were naturally intuitive when they were designed and eaten within that culture. And I think that that's like something that's really interesting that I, I think you weaved into the conversation that I think is often forgotten and that there's nothing wrong with anybody's cultural food. It was diet culture that implanted this idea that we needed to be smaller and look a certain way but if you inject the neutral nutrition education into it and you look at each thing, they're all wonderfully diverse, nutriently dense meals. They are. And like, you know, <laughs> anyone who wants to argue with me about it, I will take you down step by step with it. Be like, break it down. Be like, okay, let's go into the neutral nutrition then because let's talk about I'm what's totally happening with there. You. I, you know, I'm in the army I'll take with you. you down. <laughs> ridiculous you know like like and I am a sufferer of the swapping white for rice a long for brown time. rice person I did that for a while I did it and for a long time and then finally one day I was like I don't like the way this tastes as much so why am I doing it like why am I doing this to myself like that's so stupid for like literally two extra grams of fiber like that's bonkers 
bonkers. So anyways, I really appreciate what you said here and bringing that up because I think that it is such a big deal. And I think that um, it drives me nuts the way that we, and I think it also like, it allows people to have a lot more flexibility with their food when they understand how each component of a plate and their macronutrients play together. And that when you try to take one out, that's when everything gets all kind of messed up. And that's what's so frustrating about we're gonna go we're gonna go full circle here to the beginning where we're saying the doctor's giving birth control as a band-aid when they say oh just cut out carbohydrates okay well then what are we replacing them with because carbohydrates are mad important okay <laughs> so what are we going to do then and then when that happens that's when our plate becomes jacked up you know that's when the plate becomes messed up that's when the plate becomes when we try to take those macronutrients and take one out or substitute it with something else and swap it around but if we kept it with those in mind the whole time, I don't know. I just, I don't know where I'm going with this, except I think I, I think you guys know where I'm going with it. Like, it's just, it's very frustrating to me because it takes away when people try to take away something because of diet culture or because of some belief around our bodies, you're ultimately pulling a thread that leads to the exact place that you didn't want to be to begin with. And if you left everything alone and provided everybody with the education that they need in order to fuel themselves and nourish themselves from a neutral standpoint, which is probably why Dan and I started a whole podcast just talking about this. But when you do that, it allows for all of the soft skills to come more naturally because you're like, oh, it's just food. Cool. Like, these are the things that I need to thrive. These are the things that I need for my well-being. And it's like, insert situation here that I might alter certain things. But overall, the basis is I should be eating the things and have the education that I need to support myself. And I think sometimes, like you said, I think there was an Instagram post that you posted about how... It's not necessarily a lack of knowledge why you get stuck. And I think it's more of a undoing of too much noisy information that we actually have to do in order to support our PCOS. You, you do know. You do That's know. <laughs> 100%. And, you know, I had this realization recently. I, I often say, Heal your PCOS, heal your relationship with food. And I think a lot of people associate healing with like, I'm broken and I need to be fixed. And, and that's what healing is. But that's healing. Healing is actually realizing that you are, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter what is going on in your life, you are still whole. You are still perfect. You are still lovable. You are still worthy. And it's, the external noise that has told you that you're not. And that's why you go and look for things like diet, look for things like, you know, weight loss programs or whatever it is to try to quote unquote fix yourself. 
When in reality, if you realize that actually you're whole and you're perfect and you're worthy just as you are now, diet culture wouldn't have such a pull on you. You wouldn't be looking for solutions to fix you. And when I bring this into PCOS, you know, I, I tell my clients that there's, there's actually nothing wrong with their bodies. There's nothing wrong with their bodies. It's just that they've been told that they need to care for their bodies in one way in, you know, by cutting out carbs or taking the pill or whatever it is. But in reality, their bodies are actually just crying out to them to listen to it, to know how to care for it. Because the way that they've been told to care for it is not how their bodies need to be cared for. You know, someone with PCOS can't just eat like a person without PCOS because their their body has a, a specific way that it needs nutrition and movement and self-care and the rest of it to thrive. And so it's just about figuring that out. It's like listening to your body, listening to its cues, listening to its communication where it's telling you how it needs to be cared for. And if you, if you listen to those intuitive messages, you'll find the way to eat, to move, to care for your body that is going to get rid of your PCOS symptoms, regulate your periods and heal your PCOS. Healing, meaning just coming back to yourself, coming back to your truth. Yes. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Amanda, you have dropped some amazing info on everyone today. So we just wanted to say thank you. And I'm sure people will have follow-up questions and they'll want to learn more about you and everything that you do. So can you plug all of your things? Tell people where to find you on Instagram, where to find your website, everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. So my Instagram is at pcs.freedom.dietitian. The same with my TikTok and my YouTube. And then on my website, it's thedivingdietitian.com. And I also have a free Facebook community group as well called Heal Your PCOS Holistically, although the name might change soon because there's a lot of things going on in the behind the scenes of the business, which is very, very, very exciting. But you'll be able to find the links to access all of those in uh, my Instagram, on my Instagram. Awesome. And we'll make sure to put all of those in the show notes too. So thank you again so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey friends, it's Dana and thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.